particularly for this next section. We've got Robert Hollis. He's an entrepreneur. He's over in the States at the moment. He's joining me for the next uh, 24 minutes or so. If you've got any questions about small businesses, starting up a business or expanding your business, pretty much anything to do with running a business or um, in the business world, give me a text 3920 and I can put these questions uh, to Robert. I can't take your calls, unfortunately, because of the time delay um, with between you, the studio, and Robert, who's over in the States, but I can certainly put them to him via text. So if you've got any texts regarding uh, entrepreneurialism, I don't know if that's even a word, but give me a text, uh, 3920. Robert joins me now. Um, good evening, Robert. How are you, mate? Got oh. my whiskey, ready to rumble. Let's boogie. I like that. I like that. And, uh, you know, and maybe in an hour's time, I'll probably be doing the same. But um, given I'm still at work, I probably can't be doing um, the same. Uh, let's start with, with um, one thing that I saw from a New Zealander who's living in London. Who's, uh, her name is Stephanie Brown. I saw her LinkedIn post this week saying, well, look, here's Amazon who said that some of their teams will be working remotely indefinitely. Um, she said she hated the idea. A huge part of enjoying your job is actually being at work, being a team, talking face to face, um, having work drinks, accomplishing things as a team face to face. What are your thoughts on, on, some, you know, on her thoughts on this? And what are your thoughts on the future of working from home, working remotely? So it's a pretty loaded question, right? Because I think at the end of the day, for most businesses that come through, there's kind of external and external sort of parts, you know, sales and marketing. They need to be together for creativity. They want to, you know, sit down with their clients and their partners. They want to have brain, you know, workshops, all the rest of it. That's like external facing, extroverts, people, business deals. Like I understand that from a social element. Simultaneously, auditing, payroll, accounts, admin, virtual assistants, you know, whatever. Potentially, some of some of the programmers, especially some different types of special different types of programmers, they don't want to see people, you know. And so it's kind of tricky because right down the guts, you can't have a black and white when within an organisation that's 360, you've got some people that totally need and crave human attention and and you know um, connection with others, and then simultaneously on the other side, you have people who totally would be happy not even to see a human ever again, but just get their paycheck and do their thing, right? So I think the danger in this situation, for starters, she's in marketing, so I'm with her. She's obviously, you know, on the external sort of facing side. Um, but there is no one um, spot solution for this. And I think, as, you know, I've been seeing a bunch more great businesses that are offering more hybrid work models and more flexibility for those that want actually hire, they're using work from anywhere as an you know an actual asset to be able to come and work for different companies so what's happening now globally is the best some of the best companies they're saying you can be anywhere and it doesn't matter because we just want the best talent and what's happening is some other businesses are saying you have to come into the office you have to stay in traffic you need to do how it was before and all they're doing is saying well i'm just going to take my skill sets elsewhere so Basically, what you're seeing is the different types of leadership come through, and some are winning and some are losing. But there is no one size fits all. At the end of the day, there's going to be people who are more internal facing that not their, their job roles aren't necessarily required. But from a, as a, I guess, a creative and someone that's probably more on the external side of things, um, you know, new human beings are social, and it's yeah, after 18 months, you definitely you know miss sitting across from someone and having a beer and doing deals and the rest of it. But um. What you'll probably see happen is decision makers will probably travel potentially more than ever to sit down and see someone eye to eye in person, but everything else in the middle is potentially going to get automated and um, a bunch more efficient with technology. So it's a pretty loaded one, but there is not one size fits all. But what will happen in the next um, in the next probably three years is the companies that create the best 
the most options for the most amount of people will get the best talent and then they will usually win out. Okay, so it might be a case in which like one-on-one meetings mean um, mean a lot. It actually means business. So if someone's like, "Yep, I want to meet you. I want to meet you face to face," you're like, "Well, okay, I've been remote, remotely working for two years. This guy means business." Totally. Yeah. I mean, so a friend of mine, he's a, a big um, lawyer at a um, big, massive, um, you know, firm that does a bunch of IPOs and billion-dollar stuff. Basically, the second he could travel, he was going around more than ever because all the decision makers on the other side, they want to see them in person. So the decision makers, where it's about trust in the person and looking them in the eye, they want to sit down and go for dinner, you know, work through the details, get the nuance of the conversation, that's happening. But on the other side, there's a whole bunch which can get automated, that can get go digitally, and, um, and that's happening there. So you'll basically just see good leaders um, create great companies and bad leaders get exposed and lose, that, lose their best talent. Okay, I, I quite okay. I like how this is a not uh, this is not a one size fits all model. I guess it just depends on the industry. The way I see it, and maybe it's because I'm a creative as well, um, Roberta, is that um, you know our office at the moment, um, it's only vital workers, key workers are allowed to come in, and it's a it's a workplace that is set up for socialness, and it's got lots of you know it's 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 set up for a whole lot of people to be in here to be talking, um, and and doing business that way. And at the moment, it just feels so weird. So um, I guess I'm on the team of having lots of people there, having afternoon drinks, meeting face-to-face, laughing, talking, running ideas past each other instead of having to like, click on a Google Teams, Google Meets, whatever you want to talk, you know, to whatever, you know, video conferencing system you use. Um, that's the kind of the way that I work. Yeah, totally. Yeah, 100%. And so what, what you'll actually notice from a, a business side as well is all of a sudden if they say, hey, you can go hybrid and work some work in, some work out a couple of days a week, the footprint size of office spaces are actually going to get smaller. And so the spaces are going to get more efficient and creative. So from a commercial real estate lens, if you're running a business and you're spending a million bucks on, on your lease and all of a sudden you can decrease that by 25% by giving your um, you know, your employees more more um, you know options with how they can work, you've just saved yourself 250 grand just by rejigging the, the space and actually potentially needing less of a footprint. So there's always a flow-on effect. So from the business side, it can actually potentially be a win-win if you make the space that you've got great for all. And it's exactly to your point, Lloyd, is you know, it's, it's a more collaborative and creative and there's this kind of organic intersections where brains and ideas and commerce can meet then you're off to the races. But the reality at the end of the day, a lot of these companies are, are, are public, um, publicly traded. They've got shareholders. And then when a CEO or a CFO is looking at it and they can think about how they can you know, make a bunch more margin by not having a bigger footprint, they're going to definitely take it as well. So you can look to see that be part of the narrative when they make these decisions. Okay, if you just join me, I'm talking to Rebecca Hollis, who's a big-brained entrepreneur who's based in the States at the moment. We've had a message um, that's come in from Ben. He says, I own a small second-hand bookstore. It's been really hard during this lockdown period, but so many people have been asking me if I've got a website that they can rent or buy books from. I don't. Um, but do you think it is worth my while to do so? 100%. Um Really interesting, if you look at the blueprint of where Amazon started by creating essentially their online marketplace for books with cataloging and stuff, um, that was one way to do it. But nationally with something like that, I'm imagining if you obviously are on a second-hand bookstore, you're obviously passionate about um, novels and stories. Can you create like a digital mini, you know, virtual book club which you go on Facebook? Can you then create, you know, a, a special sort of custom group where you share them around? Can you, like, how can you kind of productize the analog world into digital? So, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, storytelling, Lloyd, right? So the thing that I'd be doing in that situation is 100% be trying to figure out how to create 
as little friction as possible from people that potentially aren't in your um, physical store to still be able to engage and feel like they're part of something. So it's essentially a community play to try and convert um, that community into customers, but then done through through content and, co- and commerce. So it's a really interesting one that because you know it's not just brand new second bookstores. There's a lot more nuance and niche small titles that be people that are really passionate about stuff. So when you've got a passionate niche of something like that, and there's the online digital footprint, there's a lot of lessons you can take from Amazon because literally the biggest company in the world, one of the biggest companies in the world, started with books online, and it was it was for a specific reason as well. So I think if you layer that with some creativity and storytelling and some great connection points, um, that would be um, pretty cool. Like the first thing that came to my head was. And you think about Oprah's book club, what's a similar thing that you could create, you know, locally for all your crew that are in the mix? How do you engage with all them? So it's a it's a customer engagement piece, really. And so yes to a website and I guess yes to then having a whole lot of social channels. And I'm not sure, too sure if you've got any social channels, Ben, but um, I guess they all link together, do they? If you've got a website, then you can use that to share on Facebook and on Insta and all sorts of things. Totally, yeah, 100%. So, you know, you can go to a website like Wix.com, W-I-X.com. You can go to another website called Squarespace.com, and they're essentially free websites where you can get stuff um, out in the mix. And another one to potentially start simply is, you know, Facebook marketplaces. You can do quick little e-commerce stores done directly off your Facebook page. That's obviously linked to a location. You know, there's a lot of ways you can kind of do it, but um, in its simplest form, you'd be trying to figure out how you can get an online presence and how you can potentially sell um, products to that um, that community, but my gut would be saying in a second-hand bookstore with that type of clientele, they'll be passionate about reading, passionate about stories, and would definitely be able to build a pretty strong online um, following if if they can if they can um, you know tell good stories and connect up that way as well. And just quickly, another text before we go to a break. Um, Samantha's messaging saying, I've always wanted to start my own business, but I never know where to start. And by the time I come up with an idea, it seems someone's already come up with it. Does it matter? Do I always need to be first or just best? Uh, first usually loses. Because <laughs> the person <laughs> who comes second usually sees all the stuff you've done uh, wrong and they figure out one way to do it a little bit better with it and they take a few shortcuts. And then usually if the person goes second, uh, and they have a bit of backing behind them, they can kind of accelerate that growth faster. But a great way to start is a website called it's a it's a it's called a Lean Canvas. Um, and if you go to um, dial.org.nz, there's the free resources tab, and then under there, there's it's a, it's it'll give you links to a whole bunch of different resources. But the specific one is basically a one-page business plan where you can basically put in your idea how it differentiates from the rest of the market, who your customers would be, what your you know revenue model, um, the different products and services you'd sell in one in one page at lean it's a, it's called a one page lean canvas and, and the website's called leanstack.com but you can go to dial.org.nz and find it as well. In one page will take you as long as you want to take to figure it out. Then you can actually um, uh, basically see if your idea's got legs or not. And the majority of the time if you can do um, a bunch of the ideas already exist. If you can do it better, then that's when you should kind of try and you know try and do a, um, a, a minimum viable product or like an MVP or a test of whatever that product or services to a few a few people. And it's, those things are really easy to do. But at a start point, don't get disheartened because sometimes a lot of people have done it, but they may have done it really, really, really badly. You know, so don't don't get discouraged, but definitely do your do your digging and um, yeah, go. There's a bunch of free resources out there. More than happy to um, help if I can. 
We're talking business and business ideas and entrepreneurialism. Still a word I can't even say. Uh, with Rebet Hollis, who's joining me from the States. You're still there, Rebet? Sure am. I, I think, Lloyd, we need it. We'll jump in here. Let's just call it entrepreneurship. It'll make everyone's life a lot easier. Yeah, my, my, okay, entrepreneurship. <laughs> that's that's bloody great. Uh, we've had a few texts that have come in. Uh, one here um, from Graham. How do I start an app? I've got so many ideas about helping people wanting to start veggie gardening, but I've got no ideas how to make an app, make that idea an app. Yeah, cool, no worries. So from an, an outset with an app, you might necessarily be actually asking the wrong question. What if, if you're talking about, you know, someone making gardens, maybe it's a YouTube channel as a platform, not necessarily an app as a platform. A lot of times people will say they've got this idea of a product, but they don't they don't uh, really dig into what type of platform potentially may be better. Like in my head right now, I'm imagining that if there was a YouTube channel specifically on free garden tips done in New Zealand with organic whatever and the whole nuts and bolts that shows personality people, there's probably more momentum on that platform to be able to start on a YouTube thing or a vlog or a blog or whatever it may be than just saying an app. So one of the uh, uh, easy way to do is that is actually think about, well, what are you trying to sell or do specifically? And then what is the best way that, you know, the market or the your customers are going to want to engage with that? Now, an app may be um, part of it, but it may, you know, Technology and all these things, you know, they're just a tactic, right? All these things are just tactics. You could have, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you could sort of navig navig navigate this, this landscape. But um, think about the product of what you're actually trying to sell and then look at the market and see how other people actually try and sell those things too. Like in retail, obviously, everyone has stores and bricks and mortar, but now everyone has direct-to-consumer websites that they then have and be able to do it as well. So sometimes the platform or the outlet of, say, an app may not actually be it. And if it's um, in my head instantly, I'm thinking this would sit more on um, uh, Instagram and YouTube as a channel specifically around, you know, passionate people around gardening or whatever it may be um, than necessarily going down the technology side. Technology is just a tactic. It's never the, the whole thing. So, you know, it's, it's good to focus on the product and work your way back. Don't start at the end and it actually might be the wrong question that you're trying to ask. Do you find that there's lots of cases of this, of people choosing the wrong platform to launch their ideas and then walk away from the idea completely because that disillusions them? 100%, yeah, 100%. Because they, um, you know, it's very easy when you see the waves of, you know, I started this app and I made a million dollars or I did this thing and I made whatever it was. You know, they've seen the end and the glitz and the glamour. They're not simplifying it to, you know, if you go try and explain it to, you know, your grandmother, what you're trying to do. If I said to Nana, I was like, I would say, you know, you go onto the website and you get to watch a free TV show to learn how to, you know, do gardening. She's like, oh, okay. You know, now the back end of how that works is, is obviously a bit tech, but a lot of times people... Um, run themselves into circle and kind of discourage themselves because they probably uh, don't have, um, maybe not, not the confidence, but maybe just the bravery to ask the right question. And the right question would be, you know, what's the best way to try and monetize this, not what platform should it be on, you know? So w work your way back for sure, but don't get discouraged when you don't know because the reality is, you know, for as much as I've done good, I've done just as much bad and I've been able to learn for it. Learn for it. But the difference is being able to be brave enough to try and, and, and go and be open enough where you're vulnerable to say, hey, I don't know everything. You know, I'm trying to figure this out, which is it's great. They can text in and ask these questions because it needs to happen more because people get probably a bit too 
um, you know, if they're too sensitive to try and just say, hey, I'm trying to create something here, help me out. There's nothing wrong with that, you know. Yeah, I hope that helps, Graham. I hope that's um, hopefully prevented you from making an error there. So there you go. Maybe try out the YouTube channel. Um, okay, what, what I would love to get your thoughts on, um, Robert, is, is there's a number of com- companies in New Zealand at the moment that are making vaccinations compulsory for their staff. Um, I'm not sure, too sure what it's like in the States, but what are your thoughts on that? It's super loaded, right, because you come in against the balance of, you know, freedom as a human being versus um, force that's been potentially put on on you if you don't necessarily agree with uh, for a variety of reasons. So in the States here, there's, you know, professional athletes that are now not playing in the NBA that are losing millions of dollars. You've got um, businesses and certain people, like there's a whole whole police department just kind of resigned and walked off the job. Not going to, not going to do it because they don't want to get it forced into them, right? And so, from a health perspective, like I got COVID, I'm fully vaccinated. I 100% think every single person should <laughs> get it, so a bunch more people don't die. Like it's pretty flippin' simple. But the reality is, on the other side, I don't, I wouldn't like if my livelihood was put on the line. Say, hey, you're going to get fired if you don't put this thing in your arm, which you may not potentially agree with. So. You know, I see it on both sides, and and this has come from someone that had it, got destroyed from it, and flipping lucky that he got vaccinated and 100% think every single person should. And there's been, you know, 750,000 people dead here in the States because they haven't done it simultaneously. (laughs) I don't feel if I don't don't trust the science or I don't trust, not that don't trust the science, or if you're some anti-vaxxer in your own program or even for your own beliefs don't want to do it, I kind of don't like the idea that a third party can tell, can force me to put something in my body to keep my livelihood. I don't like that either. So I am so glad I'm not in politics, but I think that it's from a health perspective. Um, look at the science; it's saving more lives than it's killing. It's, you know, it's it's loaded. So if I had a business, would I force everyone? I I wouldn't, but what I 100% want to. So they can try and save more lives, hundred percent. Because you might have like a really good worker, right? You might have a really good employee who's like, no, you know. This is my personal belief. I'm not getting it. And and then your, your chief executives get in a real tough position because what do you do? 100%. And this is, once again, this is coming down to leadership, right? Like it's exposing great leaders and bad leaders. And you've seen the fallout from each of these decisions. Um, the, the bit that kind of I always struggle in my head to think about and obviously seeing this play out globally over this last bit is how can you, how on one hand can you, you know, preach freedom and, and all the stuff and on the other hand be like, oh yeah, cool, you're totally free to do whatever, but then no, no, stuff you, you've got to do this or you lose your job. It's like, it's not really the same, it's not really aligned with the the, the reality, perception versus reality of what they're talking about. And so, um, you know, it's such a tough one for me. I, I, personally, would I want absolutely everyone to get it? Yes. But, you know, I re- just like I respect everyone's religious beliefs, whatever, if they don't feel comfortable for their own body to do that, you know, to take away someone's livelihood if they're, you know, providing for their family and stuff, it's, it's tough too. But then simultaneously, you know, would I want someone unvaccinated that could potentially give it to someone that I care about and maybe kill them? No. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, w- welcome to the world of, of compromise. And I don't think, um, I think we definitely did a potentially better job in the States or how the States did it. But um, I don't think you're going to ever make this so binary where it's black and white because freedom and force doesn't really go on the same line. Hey, wonderful. Thank you so much for your time this evening. That's Robert Hollis, who's an entrepreneur out of the States. Uh, got a good brain on him, doesn't he? Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, I hope he goes and has, has a whiskey. I think he's already had one, but I hope he goes and has another one.